Hi, we're Josh and Arielle Wamsley, owners of Green Valley Tree LLC, based in North Wyndham. We're proud to sponsor Connecticut East this week and to serve the communities of Wyndham and New London counties with our tree removal and plant health care services. Visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com for a full list of our services or give us a call on 860-234-4041. We look forward to hearing from you. Delivering fresh milk to the region for over 150 years. We visit one of the oldest family-run dairy farms in eastern Connecticut to find out what it takes to bring you fresh milk daily. Plus, we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. There are many things we take for granted in life, and one of them is going down to the local supermarket or store, opening up the fridge and grabbing a half or a gallon of milk. But what exactly does it take to get that milk to you? In Connecticut, we have around 100 dairy farms scattered across the state, according to the organization Connecticut Dairy, and that number has been shrinking over the years due to the high cost of doing business. But there are still larger dairy farms that are managing to weather the storm and keep going, supplying the state and us with fresh local milk. Mountain Dairy Farm in Stores is one of those farms and I visited it recently to see for myself what it takes to get milk from the farm to our tables. So we're talking with Craig Stearns, who's president of Mountain Dairy. Craig, it's just gone five in the morning and we're standing in the cow shed, is it? Well, this is our freestall barn. We, we house approximately 300 of the cows that we milk. It seems early for me, but of course it's not early for you and it's not early for, for the farm. I believe you start at something like about, what, three in the morning? Yes, we start milking cows first milking at three o'clock in the morning and again at two o'clock in the afternoon. Ideally, you spread them apart 12 hours, but we're about 11 and 13. Milking takes about four and a half hours each milking, so it takes up most of the day. And is it all just one breed of cow or do you have a couple of breeds? I mean, I, you know, they all look very similar to me, so help me out. We have both jerseys and uh, Holsteins. So the black and white ones are Holsteins and the brown ones are jerseys. We have about 25% of our herd is jersey cattle. Higher fat content in jersey milk and that's why we, we have them make our milk uh, creamier tasting and uh, higher in butterfat. Today, as we stand here, it's still quite warm, although there's fans going to keep the cows cool. I mean, I'm guessing, you know, at the height of summer, it probably gets quite uncomfortable for everybody, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Cows don't like heat. Ideally, they like 50, 55 degree temperatures. Today was 95 plus and very humid and it's a little tough on the cows. Tell us a little bit about the farm because it's been in the family for a very long time. You're very well known up in this part of obviously northeastern Connecticut. And of course, you know, you're the president of it. But I mean, you weren't always involved with the farm though, were you? I wasn't. I did dairy nutrition for many years on my own and different companies. And I came back a few years ago to run the family business and been doing that for almost four years. How big is the farm and sort of what are some of the other things that you do? So we farm 900 acres, five to 600 is agricultural use, the rest is woods and open space. We milk 500 cows, we have total 900 to 1,000 head of cattle with young stock. Right now we're down a little bit, we're milking 450 cows twice a day and we bottle all that milk. Our family's been in the uh, milk business since 1871. The farm has been in the family since 1772, so a long time. 
<laughs> we just go to the supermarket, or if we're lucky enough to live in certain parts of Northeast, we can obviously have our milk delivered by your farm. What's the age for a cow, you know, where they're useful for milking? Just give us a little bit, because like I said, we just pick up milk and we don't think anything really of how it's done, where it comes from, you know, the animal where it's come from as well. Yeah, we have some cows. I mean, some cows will live to be 12, 13 years old. I mean, most of them, the average span is probably seven or eight years, six, seven years. Sounds a dumb question, but how popular is milk? Because so many people are going for sort of like milk alternatives. I mean, is it is it more of a challenge these days for the milk industry when they're up against like the plant-based sort of like milks that people seem to want to drink as well? Yeah, there's a certain segment of the market that prefers the plant-based milks, but then there's a, a large portion of people that still look for the dairy. My stepdaughter actually was doing a plant-based thing, then she went back to dairy and she feels it's been beneficial to her health. So uh, there's a lot of benefits to the dairy milk, I believe. And I think trends and fads come in and people trend a different way for a while, certain portion of the population. But I think dairy has been a staple for hundreds of years and I think it will be for a hundred more. I just think fads and trends tell people that other things are good for them for a while and then it seems like they trend back to more of the norms after a while so i think some of that stuff are fads and trends they do a good job selling that stuff to people and i i think there's health concerns with some of that stuff too so and covid i mean you know it affected everybody i'm guessing it affected you know the farm but was it also a case of were people after more local sort of things because they just didn't want to go anywhere? I mean, how did, how did COVID sort of really affect the farm? Well, when COVID hit, we do a lot of uh, universities and, and obviously restaurants and things like that. And uh, that hit us. That was probably 30 to 35 percent of our business pretty much closed up and went away. We had stopped home delivery in 2012. And uh, when the pandemic hit, we started it up again. And we've been doing it since and that filled in some of our lost business because of the universities and such but that's how it affected us here lately it's affecting us with uh, well first we went through the supply chain issues where we couldn't get certain things and it was tough to get get a lot of of our inputs that we use for packaging and so forth and now we're going through the cost increase of everything and the uh, inflation so that's hurting us feed is very expensive for the cattle we buy in a lot of grain products to supplement our silages that we grow on the farm but the silages are a lot more expensive this year to grow the corn it's cost our fertilizer prices doubled everything's crazy as far as increases in fuel not just fuel but everything fuel affects everything so we burn a lot of heating oil to keep our boilers running for uh, production and so forth and the fuel for our trucks that go out every day costs are extremely high now yeah, I mean, it's something that we as consumers just don't even factor in, is it? Like I said, we walk in, we go to the fridge in the supermarket or wherever, pick up the milk and have no idea the resources that actually go in there, not just the animals, of course, but as you said, all the other things, which, you know, a business like this at the end of the day has to try and sort of like they need, but then also have to try and spread out so that the cost doesn't go crazy, you know, for the consumer at the end of the day. No, exactly. I mean, everybody's businesses are being affected. So all the inputs that we bring in, packaging, like I said, that's all increased. Uh, Petroleum is used in plastics and uh, caps and labels and bottles and everything uh, has gone up several times in the last year or two. And and then 
And then you got the supply chain stuff still going on, and, and transportation costs are up for all that stuff, so everything just keeps going up and up and up. So, Craig, we're in the milking parlor, which is all sort of looks very high-tech. I mean, obviously gone are the days of hand milking from many years ago. So roughly how many cows can get milked at any one time here? Milk 11 cows on each side. The cows come in, and they're sprayed with an iodine-based disinfectant to clean the uh, teats in the udder kill any bacteria they are wiped down with a, a cloth and prepped to milk that stimulates them to have milk let down the uh, units are then attached to the cow they stay on the cow approximately six to seven minutes that takes the milk the cow out typically depending on milk production some take a little longer they're giving more milk at the beginning of their lactation the uh, ones that are getting towards the end of the lactation obviously will milk out a little quicker than not, not giving them out of milk that the other ones are Six to seven minutes sounds pretty quick. I mean, it's like a little bit of a convey about. It's like fairly, <laughs> fairly quick turnaround. When they come in, they want to they wanna get their milk out of their udder, put pressure on their udder, and it's very quick. So we have two, uh, two employees in the milking parlor all the time, and then there's one, uh, another employee bringing cows to the uh, milking parlor and uh, pushing up feed and, and things like that. And then there's another employee that comes in about 5.36 to feed the cows and put out feed. And you said, I think, when we were talking earlier, that there's two milking periods, so one early in the day and one later in the day. Was that correct, or slightly later in the day? Yes, that's correct. We milk twice a day. A lot of farms milk three times a day, but we do it. We still do the more traditional twice-a-day milking. We're speaking to Tito, who's one of the employees here. So, Tito, we're in a quite a noisy section of the, the farm. Wh- explain what we're looking at here, because it looks like it's all the, the plastic bottles for the milk. So this is the process of, the, uh, of how we uh, bottle the milk. It goes through the filler, it fills the bottles, and it goes to the caser, and then we pack them and bring it in the cooler. But the bottle room is up, up in the top where we throw the bottles in. I can show you. This is where everything starts. The guys set up the, the uh, labels depending on what we're going to be processing. Right now, as it is, we're processing whole milk gallons. He throws the bottles in. It labels the, uh, the bottles. It dates the bottles with this dater machine. And then uh, it goes down the rail. We bring it down. To, it goes down to the bottle room. It gets, uh, it gets bottled, and then we bring it into the cooler. So you said you're, what, what milk are you bottling at the moment? Uh, right now, at the moment, we are running whole milk, whole milk gallons. So how many of those will you do, and then, and, and then I, I guess you then change over into, like, bottle something else? That's right. Right now, since uh, we are short on, on milk this morning, I'm trying to catch up so that the uh, truckers could have enough milk so we could get them out of, out of the door. Right now, we're short uh, 13 bundles, which is 80 gallons. We're pricing the 80, 80 cans. Then after this, we make sure that everything's uh, drained out of the filler and, and start doing our skim, skim milk. How many bottles do you go through a day, do you know? Approximately uh, 2,112 bottles of just whole milk. Same with the, uh, with the 1%, that's what most goes out of the door. Gallons of 1% and gallons of whole milk. And then apart from just see the, the standard milks that you've just mentioned, you also do flavoured milk as well, don't you? Yes, we do. At the end of the day, we do uh, strawberry milk or chocolate milk and uh, coffee milk. We also do that. We're entering the season for doing eggnog very soon, probably a couple more months from now. And how popular are things like the flavoured milk and the eggnog? Because obviously it's, it's an expensive thing to do, so I'm guessing they're popular. They are very popular. Uh, the chocolates are our most seller right now. We sell about 72 cases per week of just chocolate pints. And the half gallons of chocolate, we usually sell about uh, 20 cases of half gallons weekly. Our strawberry pints move very fast also as well. 
Why do you think the chocolate's so popular? I mean, because it's something that I suppose does it. Do you think it takes people back to their childhood? I would say so. Yeah, it, it, I, everywhere I used to do deliveries as well, and people used to come and uh, you know, like it was it was very popular. They love it. They they always compliment on, on the chocolate that they love it so much. How long have you been here? And obviously, love it. I mean, you're passionate. As we're talking about this, you're clearly passionate about it. How long have you been here? I've been here over a little, a little over five years now. I love the job. It's, it's, it's entertaining. It's interesting. And what's your working day like? I mean, what time do you have to get up in the morning? Though I come in at three in the morning, start the uh, sanitizing. I make sure everything's clean upstairs, downstairs. Make sure uh, I sanitize well, and then uh, after that, uh, it, it takes about an hour and a quarter cleaning up, and then uh, I start processing the milk. Maybe quarter after four. Well, I better not uh, stop you because I know you're a busy man. So thank you ever so much thank for you. talking to me. Thank you. Thank you very much. Ken, just tell us what your job is here because we've got lots of bottles. You look like a scientist, Ken. <laughs> this is the, our uh, laboratory. I'm going to test some milk. I'm going to test our heavy cream right now. It's not to the level that we, we want. We'll, uh, we'll adjust it. What else do you test in here? I mean, I know you said the cream. So, I mean, I'm guessing everything has to get tested at some point, does it? Oh, we'll blend uh, our 1%, 2%. I'll test that to see that it's within the, the specs. Antibiotics are required. I'm going to do that with our raw milk in a moment. Bacteria is tested as well. Our own benefit and protection to see that we're, the milk is of quality. Really, the only thing that's absolutely required is the antibiotic uh, test. That's, the state will monitor that. Bacteria levels are monitored every month uh, by the state, so I like to make sure that our levels are where they should be so that we don't have uh, any issues with that. I was talking to, to Craig earlier, and, and he was saying that you know, the cows like about a 55 degrees like environment you know, is an ideal. Obviously, it's a lot warmer than that because we're in summer at the moment. Does that cause an effect, obviously, on the milk? The cows hate this kind of weather. The, the production will go down considerably. Entire week of this kind of heat, I wouldn't be surprised if the production went down 10 plus percent. I believe we were doing over 400 cans, which would be 4,000 gallons a day, and I believe Tito, the plant manager, said we were down to about 360. So that's a pretty good chunk. And how long do all of these tests take? Because it looks like you've got a lot there, and obviously we need to not to like stand around and get in your way for too long. So how long do these tests take? This cream test will take me a few minutes. I have to uh, cook it, cool it, and then measure it. As consumers, we've got no idea what goes into the production of milk. Well, sure, uh, and it's unusual here. It's it's one of the few places left that where we actually have our own cows, milk our own cows, and bottle our milk all on on site. It's all in one piece here. <laughs> so that so what you're saying is that, that that's unique for a dairy farm, then, is it? It's it is these days. It's very very unusual. Do you think that by keeping it all under one roof, though, it's like it somehow just helps to create like a i don't know maybe a better product well it should uh our milk is extremely fresh it's not being it's not being carted around the, the new, all of new england and and pennsylvania and new york and all that and then going to a holding facility where it's then picked up and then brought to a processing plant right here we're, we're going to bottle milk that's right now being coming out of the cows as we speak and it's going to go into the fridge today Ken, it's been great talking to you. I know you're a busy man, so we'll let you get on and do your testing. Thanks for talking to us. Sure. Yeah, it was a pleasure. So, Craig, talk us through what we're seeing here. So this is a loading dock. Uh, right now, uh, this is Brian. He's loading the uh, trucks to go out to the retail stops, what we call wholesale stops, the uh, convenience stores, the supermarkets, and so forth. Those trucks get loaded starting uh, a little before 4 in the morning. We uh, have six routes that go out to the wholesale stops so they pick all the milk in the morning 
And it's all very fresh. It bottled on Friday, or some of it might have been bottled this morning already. And then the home delivery trucks come in in a few minutes. They'll probably, once the kind of traffic gets dissipates from the uh, wholesale delivery trucks, and they, they, they're on the road for the day, the uh, home delivery trucks come in and they get loaded. We have a couple of Sprinter vans. We're running two to three routes that uh, cover home delivery and some of the smaller stops, such as coffee shops and things like that. This is one of the cooler parts of the place because we're actually, this truck's a refrigerated truck. I can feel some of the coolness coming off of it. Yeah, we run the reefers in the morning while we're loading the truck. To, the milk comes straight from the cooler right behind you and loaded right onto the truck to limit the exposure to any, any heat. The cooler is at uh, 35 degrees. The trucks, we get down to 33 to 35 degrees. So we're talking with Brian, who's one of the the truck drivers and delivery. So Brian, just tell us a little bit about what's your typical day. My typical day involves me loading. Uh, I help out uh, four other guys. Uh, Orlando, I just loaded that one over here. I'm loading uh, Felix's truck now. I, I get these guys uh, set it up real nice for them. You know, real easy easy to find all the all the milk that they need at the stop. That's what I do. Load the trucks. I do my deliveries. My route is uh, the local route. I have, I'm lucky. I'm the lucky one, so, so I'm uh, the nearest one. Is that the privilege because you actually like put most of the trucks together? Yeah, because I feel like my route, since it's local, I actually finish quicker than everybody else. So, you know, that's why I help them out because, you know, they, they go farther. These guys go to, like, Hartford, like, almost an hour and 30 minutes away. We're looking at a fairly big box truck here, just for the listeners, and it's refrigerated. How long does it take you to basically load this up? To load a truck, about 45 minutes. I'm getting the, I'm getting the gallons right now. We start with the gallons. And uh, there's a kid in there, his name's Manuel, and he's picking all the pints, all the half gallons, the quarts, and he leaves them right there on the side. And I'll, uh, after I'm done with the gallons, I go to those. He's picked it for me. So there's a system to basically pack it. A system, yes, sir. I know you're busy, so I'll let you get back to work. Thanks for talking to us, Brian. All right, man, no problem. You got it. So, Craig, we're actually outside. It's a little bit breezy. It's, it's quite nice now. Let's look at the time. So we've had a bit of a whistle-stop tour. It's just coming up to, to 6 o'clock. Obviously still a hive of activity in there. You know, what are the challenges for, for modern-day farming these days, and certainly it's like dairy farms? I mean, you, you spoke a little bit earlier about some of them, but business it's challenging for all businesses, I guess. It's very expensive to uh, farm in the, in the northeast just because of the population. That's also a benefit to what we do here because we bottle our own milk. So we have that population to sell our milk to. But it's the continued uh, pressures of of actually, we do it all here. Most places just bottle milk if they're a dairy. And then f- most farms don't bottle their own milk in this area. There's uh, smaller dairies that are starting to do that of significant size. We're uh, one of the, we're kind of unique. The milking as many cows we are and bottling all that milk. So it's just the constant pressures of having both ends of the business. It's very hard to be efficient here to milk the cows and uh, grow the feed for that size farm in Connecticut. The delivery aspect of it, I mean, that's unique as well because there aren't that many farms that are delivering either, are they? To, certainly in the, the size of area that you deliver to. I mean, you deliver in, in a very big area to customers. That's exactly right. So the smaller farms that are bottling their own milk, a lot of them sell it at their farm or doing some home delivery now, and things like that. And we have 35 to 40 employees here, and uh, we're kind of at the size to support it all. 
we have to uh, sell them out on the milk we do. And uh, we're going to New Haven and Hartford and west of Hartford a little bit and uh, all over eastern Connecticut, obviously. We go into Rhode Island. We have a couple of customers in Massachusetts. So, yeah, we're spread out a little bit. And the fuel costs and all that made the distribution costs quite expensive and, and trucks and fixing trucks and so forth. And then what about the pressures from some of the bigger retailers? Because, I mean, you're in some significant supermarkets like Big Y and places like that. And I'm guessing, you know, that's a negotiation in itself because, of course, they're trying to keep their overheads down as well. Exactly. We end up competing with some of the bigger dairies like the Hoods and the, the Gaidas and that are very large companies. Hood doesn't own cows that I know of and Gaida doesn't own cows. So having that side of the business and uh, feeling that part of the business and trying to make it all work together is challenging. What gets you up every day? Because here you are, as I say, at six o'clock. I know before we started taping this interview, you said you're here every day. What keeps you going? <laughs> I think I'm crazy a little bit. <laughs> I guess the legacy of my family's business and, and farm here. We've been here for 250 years this year, actually. Our family has. And uh, and have been in the milk business for over 150 years. We have a strong presence here in eastern Connecticut and providing milk to our community and I guess I guess that's what drives me. Well it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for allowing us to come and visit Mountain Dairy it's an incredible setup here from you know the cows to the bottling to the milk parlor continued success of course to the family and the farm thanks again for being on Connecticut East this week. Thank you Brian it was nice to be on. And if you're interested in finding out more about Mountain Dairy Farm and its products, online store and its home delivery milk service, visit their website at mountaindairy.com. Looking for a fast, friendly and convenient local pharmacy? Then try the Nutmeg Pharmacy Group with five convenient locations in eastern Connecticut. We're a full-service pharmacy supplying COVID vaccinations, prescription service, gifts, cards, and more, plus free local delivery. And it's easy to transfer to Nutmeg Pharmacy. Let us show you how. Find our contact details for our Higginham, Centerbrook, Moodis, Taftville, and New London stores online at nutmegpharmacy.com. The warmer weather is here, and it's time to give your plants some health care. From mulching to aeration to growth regulator, remedial and preventative treatments against fungus, as well as insects like the spotted lanternfly and gypsy moth. Don't be reactive, be proactive, and keep your trees and plants in tip-top condition to avoid long-term health problems. Find more details about plant health care services. Call 860-234-4041 or visit our website at greenvalleytreeworks.com. Time now for a look at other stories making the headlines this week, sponsored by... Healing Therapies Through Sharing is Eastern Connecticut's Holistic Wellness Center for those recently diagnosed or living with a cancer diagnosis and their caregivers. We offer a range of services including adult and pediatric oncology massage, lymphatic drainage, craniosacral therapy, yoga for cancer, and much more. For details about our full range of services and our team of licensed professional therapists and providers, visit our website at healingtherapiesct.org or call us on 860-443-0800. We look forward to hearing from you. A Connecticut congresswoman is among those asking the government to overhaul the way it handles food safety issues. Edward J. Vieira from the Connecticut News Service explains. 
Fifteen federal agencies deal with food safety, but a bill in Congress is recommending a sixteenth. It would create the Food Safety Administration under the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services to take charge of several food safety programs now under the purview of the Food and Drug Administration. As a co-sponsor of the bill, Representative Rosa DeLauro of Connecticut says, while the F in FDA stands for food, the agency's track record has shown food safety isn't a top priority. I think we can safely say that public confidence is eroding the ability of the FDA to protect our food supply. We've got inadequate responses to recalls, a failure to implement a culture of outbreak prevention, rules that languish, initiatives that they don't put into practice for years. She says a new Food Safety Administration would have more power to investigate food-related public health concerns and likens it to the role of the National Transportation Safety Board. Deloro says the FDA's priority has been the safety of drugs and medical devices, although it regulates 80% of the nation's food supply as well. I'm Edwin J. Vieira. The Coast Guard has updated policies for service members who are identified as positive for the human immunodeficiency virus, HIV. The update means the Coast Guard now aligns with the Department of Defense. The update removes deployment restrictions and allows current Coast Guard service members to seek a commission without the need for a personal waiver. A medical waiver will be available for members who have an undetectable viral load and remain asymptomatic. The policy revision means that personnel living with HIV will be deemed worldwide deployable providing their infection is optimally managed. This policy includes Coast Guard Academy cadets and midshipmen and other participants in service commissioning programs. Rural America is facing a shortage of educators and guidance counsellors, which means many students aren't getting the advice they need on college and career readiness. Lily Bolkey from the Commonwealth News Service reports on one effort to improve their odds. A New England-based nonprofit wants to equip current educators and school staff with the training to help students identify whether college is right for them and get the process started. Rick Dalton leads CFES Brilliant Pathways, short for College for Every Student. He notes rural students face unique challenges. They may lack high-speed internet access or live far away from the nearest college campus. Rural students are slightly more likely to graduate from high school. However, they're less likely rural kids to go to college. And when they get to college, they are less likely to stay. Dalton notes these quasi-counselors attend four 30-minute virtual trainings to learn about topics from VASA completion to non-traditional careers and growing fields like healthcare. They then receive a certificate from one of the participating higher ed institutions, which includes access to online resources for the latest new information they may need to continue with college advising. I'm Lee Wolke, reporting. After the storm, a Rockfall, Connecticut-based foundation that assists cancer survivors is bringing back its popular Art Bra fundraiser for the first time since COVID-19 hit. Art Bra 2022 will feature one-of-a-kind bras specially designed by survivors of cancer, their families and friends, and auctioned off to raise money. Christine Willett is the founder and president of After the Storm and herself a survivor of breast cancer and says the money they raise goes towards integrative medicine like massage therapy that isn't covered by health insurance but can dramatically reduce the side effects of cancer treatments. This is something that's worth creating an organization for to be able to help survivors that are going through treatment to, you know, not only feel better physically but mentally, emotionally, kind of the whole gamut of what makes you up as a person so that they can resume their lives to as much normalcy as possible. Willett says even her husband and male friends wear the unique bra creations to show their support for all survivors of cancer. 
So it's definitely been a staple that we have had every year. So we do have six men again this year, a lot of new faces that will be on the catwalk for the man show. And yeah, it's definitely a good time. Everybody's favorite part. We end the show that way. Definitely upbeat and a lot of fun. The foundation has raised over half a million dollars since 2009 with its art bra shows. For details and tickets for the August 4th show, go to afterthestorminc.org. And in the Connecticut Inside Investigator this week, recently approved marijuana licenses are raising equity questions. Recently, the Connecticut Department of Consumer Protection announced that 16 new applications for marijuana cultivators from disproportionately impacted areas had been approved. However, questions are now being raised as to whether or not the approved applications adhere to the state's social equity requirements. Many of the other applicants list addresses based in New York, Massachusetts and Pennsylvania in their applications. It is unclear from information made publicly available from the DCP whether these applicants qualify by being a resident of a DIA for at least nine years before the age of 18. Backers of the applicant do not need to meet the social equity requirements set forth by the state as long as they do not control more than 35% of the business. That's all from us for this edition. Do send us your questions and story ideas to the show via our website at Connecticut-East.com or Facebook or Twitter at Connecticut East and on Instagram at Connecticut East this week. And you can listen to the show again on our social platforms on demand and by asking your smart speaker to play Connecticut East This Week podcast. And please like, follow and share on your social media too. I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Thank you for listening.